Welcome back, gentle listeners. Our Bridgerton discussion continues as Melissa and I discuss episodes three and four. I'm your host, Julia, and this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. If you missed last week, go back and give it a listen before you dive into this one. But first, this quick message. Hey friends, I just wanted to pop in real quick and say thanks for listening and sticking with us. I really appreciate it. And you taking the time to listen really means a lot. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you could drop us a review. I know it's not always an easy task or sometimes we think we'll do it real quick and then we get distracted. Heavens knows I'm the queen of getting distracted. It would really mean a lot to me if you just drop a couple of notes on what you think of the show. I would love it if you gave us five stars, but you know, you do you. I understand. You have to be true to what your your belief system is about this program. With that said, I'll let you get back to the show now. And now, here we go to the show. Okay, so that brings us into episode three, where the queen basically brings her prince Friedrich of Prussia. You know, she's getting restless with like the Duke and Daphne taking for their sweet ass time, because apparently- If they've been hanging out this much and there's no proposal, that's too long. Her nephew comes to visit. He's the prince of Prussia and he's, you know, just cute little nugget of a human. And he's just enthralled with Daphne, of course, because, you know, she's the diamond of the season. Why wouldn't he? Right. And so then it becomes this whole conflict of like, Simon, if you're not serious, yeah, like if you're not serious, you need to let her go because the prince is like paying attention now. And like, that's huge. Do you really want to hold her back from being a princess? It's hard because they're essentially telling him like, shit or get off the pot. And he wants to because he's clearly in love with her, but he's conflicted because of, like you said earlier, his childhood trauma, the relationship with his dad. He knows that Daphne wants a big family because she came from a big family and, you know, all these things that he's just like, I can't deny her those things that she wants but also i want her we have to talk about the, the scene in somerset house when they like sort of touch hands you know <laughs> that scene is so good it, it's like just that great amount of tension and shonda rhymes is really good at that and mm. like you i am an avid Grey's anatomy watcher okay i might be the only person on the planet who doesn't watch Grey's anatomy <laughs> I love things that have that type of tension too, because that's a really hard thing to capture that tension buildup. And that's just yeah. really hard to do. And they do it so well with just that scene in British. Yes. In that moment, my takeaway was they both have a moment where they realize that they love the other person, but they haven't the ability to say to the other person, I love you. So they're simultaneously experiencing this intense romantic emotion feeling, and then, but then they don't realize that the other one's experiencing it as well. So they feel vulnerable and they don't want to share, especially the Duke of Hastings. He does not do vulnerability that great. I mean, he does like his character, like the actor does a great job, but like he's only vulnerable sometimes. It just really like highlights how much they feel for I love seeing people in love before yes. they know it. I yes. love watching that. It's Me so too. great. Like, and we've all seen it before. We've all seen like two people like hang out with them and you're just like, wow, they have really good chemistry together. Like, mm-hmm. It's interesting too how like 
Daphne's curiosity keeps growing like as they're in this sort of facade of being in a relationship and now she's genuinely curious because now she's having feelings for him why won't he get married and when she confronts Antony about that and Antony's just like you don't need to know anything this is none of your business don't worry about it I'm not letting you marry him anyway and like part of me is like does he know Because that would be a really vulnerable thing for the Duke of Hastings to divulge Mm -hmm. to his friend. Like, even Mm -hmm. if they are, like, drinking buddies and they go to brothels all the time, like, I can't really see them having, like, this in-depth conversation late at night, sitting together, and, you know, the Duke of Hastings telling him his deepest, darkest secrets of, in childhood, I had a stutter. Right. Because I was, you know, berated and essentially made unworthy of my title and then my dad died and on his deathbed said how great of a duke I'm gonna be and I said fuck you how how great of a duke I'm gonna be even though you basically ignored me my whole life and called me an imbecile okay but I but you're so proud of me like what what even is that I highly doubt that he told the Viscount that so I feel like that is something that he says to Daphne because he really doesn't know and he doesn't want to show vulnerability by not having information. Oh, that's a good point. I just assumed it was because he does see him going in and out of like brothels and whatnot and because he's been so adamantly vocal, but that depth, yeah, I buy it. I believe you. The narrator of the show, as we all know, is the one of the best voices in the world is Julie Andrews. In the episode, there is the prince. Obviously, we've talked about the prince, but you know, so all the ladies are trying to get at him. And so while the Duke and Daphne are in this room in Somerset House where they're having their moment, you know, they get drawn back into reality because one of the gals whose name I forget swoons. And so before we learn that she swoons, Lady Whistledown's voice comes on and says, you know, these days, the modern young lady must display a litany of talents in her quest for a suitor. She must be a witty conversationalist, an accomplished musician, and an expert in the art of the swoon. And for me, I was like, oh, it sounds like every guy's dating profile when he's talking about what kind of woman he's looking for, minus the swooning. You must be a witty conversationalist and you must entertain me kind of shit. Okay, nothing's changed in 300 years and then back to our conversation earlier about how swooning is like an art form that you gotta know how to swoon to get a guy's attention ladies bad swooning doesn't get you a husband so weird like let me get this straight you have to be a good conversationalist you have to play a an instrument or sing well or something you have to be entertaining and you also have to know how to faint on command (laughs) at the correct Time. Let's just let's just talk about how I, you know, you're thank you for confirming that we're only allowed to be ornamental. I guess why do we have to be so ornamental that we have to know how to fall on the ground? Yes. Without without breaking a bone. (laughs) Or like giving ourselves a concussion. Like that. Yeah. Because all of the floors are marble. I just don't understand where it came from. Like what? is this practice but you know again in this episode we learn that Eloise is still kind is still her own person you know she says something to Benedict their relationship is again just so adorable so the swooning happens they're at Somerset house all these things happen and then later that night you know Benedict and um Eloise are in the backyard or in the yard smoking and Benedict's conflicted because he's the second son and you know he's kind of an artist and he's feeling a little lost which I feel like is true for second children I don't know I'm a third child after the swooning in Somerset house and they're the family's back at home and so now Daphne's like conflicted because 
obviously she's discovered these feelings that they're real for the Duke. And, you know, she's trying to figure out what to do. And then it becomes very well known that the prince is like, Hey girl, Hey, to her. And so she and, and, and Eloise have this conversation later where Eloise is terrified by the fact that her mom is, was in so much pain in childbirth one two, the idea of again the whole coming out being a marriageable marriageable age like Eloise is struggling with this so then she says to her sister you wish to follow your heart and I wish to nourish my mind and I thought that statement was so powerful in not just demonstrating or highlighting Eloise's struggle but then also reminding Daphne that they are very different, even though they are sisters, even though they're basically bred to do the same thing. I think that that goes into the idea of women have always been different. And mm-hmm. there are some of us that really do want to follow our heart and do all of those things and get married and have children mm-hmm. and be, be maternal. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are also women that equally mm-hmm. inherently want to not have children mm-hmm. and not be partnered and be independent and work hard and nourish their mind. And I think that that's something that kind of plays into, this has always been a thing. Feminism is not new. Women didn't just suddenly- Wake up one day and go. Wake up one day and be like, no, I feel like having a job. I strongly relate to Eloise's storyline, big time. Right. Like I, this is gonna sound very, I'm just gonna risk it. So I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine about how like there's a level of protection when it comes to certain types of racism, because I've always been like the most beautiful one in the room. And there's like this exotic appeal and we live in a community that sort of fetishizes that type of stuff. Right. So there's a level of Daphne that I relate to being, you know, the diamond of everything. So like when that was statement was made, I was like, oh, I get that. Like I've been there. I've been that girl. The difference is I was that girl, but with an Eloise spirit commitment's not a thing I like to do. I mean, now I'm like, okay, maybe I can't commit, but like it, I wasn't, I wasn't chasing the th- those things. I didn't care about right. having boyfriends. I didn't really like, I wanted life experiences. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do all these things. So I really heavily related to Eloise her character in that way because she's desperate to make herself into a better person and explore all these facets that she knows about herself already that are such at a primer level but she can't she's not allowed to and so when she says that to Daphne it was just like yeah girl like listen just wait 300 years it gets a little bit better Slightly. Like a slightly better. We get to go to college now. We do get to go to college. We get to wear pants. I love when Daphne and Simon are discussing their nighttime rituals. This was such an interesting conversation. And this was so not something that I was expecting. Same. Because it's so, it's so improper. To talk about touching oneself. Oh, that would not be a topic of conversation. That would just not be a topic of conversation. So the fact that they threw that in there. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder if it's in the book. So if I get to that part and it is there, I'll let you know. I really hope that it is because that is such a game changer to know that you can handle your own business, handle your own business and uh, get a get satisfaction yourself. Mm-hmm. First of all, they don't know what sex is. They right. don't know what's going to happen in the marital bed. They don't know that at night they're going to be expected to take off their clothes, lay with a naked man, do all kinds of things and do all types of things. 
and they have no clue what's coming. Right. But they definitely don't think that any satisfaction or pleasure is going to come from that. Because it's not about them. It's not about them. It's never about them. It's about the guy doing his own satisfaction. To have the Duke of Hastings go into this and be like, no, it's actually great. You should try this. I feel like you need this. You feel a little, you look a little bit pent up. I think you need to try this. And she's so naive too, because we've taught, we've already, you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times. Like she literally has no idea about any, none of them do. Hence Eloise's mission to find out how you become with child when you're not married. But then Uh, like, so then he gives her this like life changing information. Like, and if you don't think that learning how to give yourself an orgasm is life-changing information. You don't know how to give yourself an orgasm and you should really try it sometime. Just going to throw that out there. I am. I I said what I said. I am not sorry. I'm going to let you throw that out there. I'm also going to refrain from commenting because my mother listens to the show. In every episode, she's playing this this piece and it doesn't have an end. In this particular episode, like she can't figure out how to end it. And even her mom calls her out on it. Like, oh no, Eloise calls her out on it mm-hmm. about like, are you going to finish this? It has to have a name, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then they have that scene when they're promenading. And like you say, when he's like, what, you, you need to touch yourself at night. And then, and then the next day after she figures out how to handle her business, Violet's like, oh, you finished? How lovely. And you notice that she asks, did you give it a name? Well, did you give it a name? And she says yes, but she never Never tells us the name. Yeah. I just, that scene was so perfect because one, the way that the mom, oh, you finished. Like, I just thought that was like a really great, like, oh, yeah. Unexpected double entendre. Definitely did finish. It was well done. And it, like I said, I think that that is a very important unspoken part of sexuality, even now. Yeah. Even like just this year, I'm now just starting to see more information coming out about female masturbation and Mm -hmm. about, and about that topic in general. And it's starting to become a little bit more normalized. Right. And so like, I think that was very appropriate that they put that in maybe not for the time period but for this time period yeah it's definitely their way of sort of modernizing the show in other than obviously the the casting decisions but as well as timely topics that are happening marina thompson's situation you know she's come to the featheringtons because she hasn't had her courses and who knows how long there's this fella at home but he's not at home he's away at war who she's in this situation with and Lady Featherington is trying to marry her off to any old fart who needs an heir because they won't question her right. you know, child being born six months later. Right. And then taking her to the poor side of town to show like, this is your future. This is what it's going to look like for you kind of shit. And Marina's like, you're not scaring me. <laughs> you don't scare I me. <laughs> it came from a farm lady. I think that's sort of a, a narrative that still sort of rings true today this idea of like you are unwed and pregnant and have no employable skills you need to fix it and the only solution to fix it is marriage and in 1813 that really was the only solution to fix it because women weren't allowed to have anything they were still sort of property I don't know I liked Marina I liked that she held out I liked that she was like fuck you no (laughs) like I like that she was too but at the same time on Lady Featherington's part like can you blame her? No, because it's going to bring dishonor to her whole house if right. anybody finds out. 
Well, that, and not only that, like, she already was getting screwed over by this girl coming into the household in the first freaking place. Like, she's got these three daughters that are, like, they are plain, they are dowdy. Penelope is definitely the prettiest one. Oh my gosh, yes. But then you've got this gorgeous, gorgeous girl who has no, who's coming from no money. She's coming with a dowry. She's coming with something. Why is she coming? We don't really know. We know that dad has gambled away all of the debts and that she's coming in. She must have a dowry. Yeah. Or something, or they're paying her to take on, take them on. That's the impression I got that Lord Featherington was getting paid to have her for the summer and to marry her off. Right. Because he was in debt to everybody (laughs) everybody including her father and then like lady featherington has these like gaudy choice of seasonal colors they're so bad i mean they're great but they're so bad in comparison to the rest of the cast and like the thing is she has to just keep she has to act like it's on purpose yeah she has to act like those are the colors of her choice and she likes it this way and like you know this is just how they are they like to be seen and they like to like no they don't that's a total, that's total bullshit. You're yes. having to buy the, Clar- she's essentially having to buy off the Clarence rack. Right. Guys. And yes. her daughter's wardrobe, total Clarence Kmart special. Okay. Yes. You I know, know what one, I mean? Yeah. Cause at one point Penelope's like, I think this is a later episode, but Penelope's like, oh good. It's yellow again. <laughs> and then the one ball that she goes to without everyone she's yeah. in a really like a, a really not I can't remember what color it is but it's not it's not super like obscene right yes right. and she even says something of the nature of like yeah it's not it's probably not yellow enough for mama's liking but can you imagine how stressful that must be for Lady Featherington to know that she has to buy these expensive clothes they have to have these ball gowns they have to have multiple ball gowns for all of these different balls because you can't be wearing the same dress to two different balls nope because everyone's gonna know they're all going to literally see you and they're going to talk shit on yeah. you. How toxic is that? And so she knows that she has to do all of these things. She has to spend all of these this money. And she knows that just by the colors that they're wearing, everyone's going to know. So she has to downplay it. There is a point too where the pressure of having three daughters in a season and Penelope even asks her mom, like, you know, can we delay just like how Mrs. Bridgerton did with um Eloise Eloise and she, no no we, we can't we can't and I thought that was interesting that she was choosing not to delay because how expensive is that right every girl comes with a dowry and yep. so we're talking a generational wealth situation but as we learn later on the Featheringtons are you know well we kind of always know but we really start to know as Lord Featherington is a flanderer and he just kind of is a wasteful human and he's very suspicious and so now it's like the pressure on him to be able to like provide three if not four dowries that's a lot of pressure for a guy in that time period but also can we like stop with the dowries like that's fucked up you shouldn't get you shouldn't get money because you married me like that's not cool no i should get money for marrying you amen sir if i have to deal with your nonsense ass you better be giving me some fucking capital amen i have to train you i definitely think that everyone in in the featherington situation it just has to be very stressful just constantly Mm -hmm. stressful and i think that when you're in that like stressful state you are just grasping yeah and that's what i see with lady featherington is that she's just in this like blinded survival mode because she doesn't know all of the information 
So she's just trying to do whatever she can to help her family's their situation, their situation, and like not their reputation. It's right. She's trying to help their family's reputation by being able to have all of the, all of the money to let their daughter, let all three of their daughters come out in the same season. They have mm-hmm. to do it all at the same time because if they if they say that uh, Penelope stays out, then what does that say about Penelope? Well, she's confusing her thoughts. We know right. how we know how Lady Featherington feels about that. She's definitely not as progressive as Lady Bridgerton, Lady Bridgerton yeah. in that sense. So there's that. And mm-hmm. Lady, the Bridgertons are a Viscount family versus uh, Lord and Lady Featherington. They are literally just lords and ladies. They're under a lot of heavy pressure and a lot of heavy scrutiny all the time. Right. To make sure their reputation is good. So like, I just, I, it must be so stressful having to live that way. When Lady Danbury gives the Duke the speech, shit or get off the pot, but in her elegant way. And he, and they meet to have their um, flavored ices. It's clearly painful for him to dump her because, you know, Lady Danbury is like, you have to stop. If you're, if she, if you're not serious, like the prince is a viable option, like don't get in the way of her becoming princess. And so when he's like, Daphne, we can't be together anymore. Like you got what you wanted, which was a prince. And I got what I wanted, which was all the mamas getting off my back. But he's clearly like in so much pain doing this. It's so sad. It like it reminds me of those other of like movies where you know they're letting go of the wild animal that they yeah. And they're just like, just go, just get out of here. You can't be here anymore. <laughs> like it kind of reminds me of that. Like just the pain in his voice. He's like in agony. And then something shifts in Daphne, right? Where she's like, well, if all I am is to be a beautiful ornament, which kind of you played into all season Daphne but okay then fine I'll give them what they want and then she definitely like hones in on the prince (laughs) I feel like she didn't really like hone into that like being an ornament because she played the game so well she she concocted they concocted this plan together oh yeah like she felt in control right she Mm -hmm. felt in control of the whole situation and then she gets freaking dumped which was not supposed to happen she was supposed to be the one to end it and she was supposed to be the one to have the control and so I'm sure that that hurt her pride and then she's just like well fine they want me to just be this beautiful little flower and be demure and be like perfect and be the diamond of the season I will show them that I am the freaking diamond of this season yeah and I'll give them exactly what they want I kind of felt like well you you like I don't know how did you guys not prepare for this to happen because the goal was was to get you a proposal from somebody no one's gonna propose if you're like you're engaged yeah if people think that you're getting proposed to or engaged to the duke at any moment because that's literally the gossip right like he was never going to propose to her because then the like another engagement wouldn't happen for her right so they were always just supposed to be courting and promenading and like essentially dating in this time period well then she really (laughs) becomes the diamond of the season after she decides this and kind of tells the kind of like says off to this entire to this whole courting thing in season four when she gets that fat necklace oh my gosh yes also her imagination running away with her as the prince is putting it on her but she's like totally having like this sexualized fantasy about the duke touching her neck and like oh my god it was so that was a great that was a really great scene i actually love those scenes more i don't want to know what you look like having sex personally that's not really a thing i'm into (laughs) i don't 
need I don't need to see the actual act. I don't I don't need to see the grunt the grunting. I don't need the grunting. I'm sorry. And that's my issue with the with the opera singer, I think, because there is a whole lot of grunting in there. Well, it's a lot. It's I appreciate that they're trying to yeah. that needs that is something that needs to be more normalized, is that sex doesn't sound like porn. That's not real. Right. And if your sex doesn't sound like this, it's okay. But I just love that fantasy that she has. And I love all of those little those little moments. That built up sexual tension to me is better than like all of the scenes. Except for the staircase scene. That staircase scene is pretty. That staircase scene is pretty hot. <laughs> and also I'm going to have to agree with you about all the other stuff too. Because I love that sort of build up moment. Like those are the ones that are romantic. Because it's in my mind all of those little pieces and components is what really helps elevate the physical connection. Because you're physically connecting Mm -hmm. in intimate ways that are small and delicate and personal rather than just like never having affection for each other at all and then just like saving it all for the bedroom like that to me doesn't make sense if I'm dating somebody I would like to have little tiny physical connections throughout the day because that's what you built that's the foundation in my mind like but it's real it's realistic when you're in that place that like that new relationship energy Mm -hmm. right that buildup happens like all mm-hmm. the time when you're with that new person that you really like you're in that like honeymoon stage and like just mm-hmm. you really like that person and that feeling is just there all the time that pent-up feeling you're going throughout your day and you maybe you see them like throughout the day a couple of times here and there but you can't do anything because there's no time and there's no whatever and then that tension builds up and you have those little intimate moments and that is a real thing that happens yeah I miss that shit sorry mom I know you're listening on top of the tension though with the mm-hmm. necklace like the necklace just so amazing it is beautiful and i find it interesting that for all of its beauty daphne doesn't seem to be that into it rightfully so because she's totally in love with the duke but she just gets like very suffocated by it i think that they i want to say that that was on purpose just by the the design of that necklace Mm -hmm. it's like a full it's like a full choker yeah and then kind of has like a dangling down to the Mm -hmm. bottom type of situation yeah yeah it's like a full it's almost a full chest piece yeah and like I looked at I looked at some of the crown jewels like I just kind of went into a small rabbit hole I didn't like go too far into it I routinely look up the crowns the English (laughs) crowns nice to match them to whatever you know monarch I'm learning about that week just to see if like maybe they based it off of one of the real crown jewels at that time it doesn't look like it specifically it looks like they kind of did like a mashup of like a whole bunch of different things but I really think that that was the point to make it look suffocating suffocating. like she's being suffocated by the crown she's being suffocated by the royalty and like the pressure of becoming this princess like she was going to be a duchess Mm -hmm. like in everyone else's mind because she was going to marry the duke right right not really but you know Right, and but we all thought she was. We all thought that she was. And then now she's going to be a princess and she has to, she really does have to just keep playing this role now. Now she can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like a good representation with that necklace. He could have given her anything. He could have given her a ring. He could have given her a bracelet, mm-hmm. a pretty brooch, a set of combs, anything during that time period. He could have oh, given a her a set of combs. Right. It makes me think of that scene in Little Women, the nineteen ninety four Little Women, when Lori puts the combs in Amy's hair when they're in Paris. Oh, that yes. scene is so. Ugh. Anyway, it's another I digress. one. It's another one. <laughs> and I think they did a good job with it. Yeah. With 
making it look like stifling like yes. oh my god this is what it means to be trapped in a royalty like okay this is my life now like yeah this is it okay so here's what's interesting to me nobody made a big stink about the quote colorblind casting and the slight changes that the Shondaland media group did with Bridgerton and compared to the books right like that wasn't a thing people weren't outraged on Twitter. So I don't know if you remember this, but when like Hunger Games came out, they cast Seneca and Lenny and it, Kravitz. Yes, Lenny Kravitz. They cast Lenny Kravitz and like the internet lost its shit because they're like in the book he's not a black guy, which I didn't read Hunger Games. I had enough of dystopian youth novels in my high school years, so I can't really like. But... I did read it and they never specify what color anyone is in Hunger So Games. and that was the counter argument, right? So the counter argument was like, no, this isn't you're being stupid, and I think that highlights just how much we read through certain types of racial lenses because we assume that the author's white, so then the character or white or whatever it is and so that was a big thing and like they actually had to address it and I just remember thinking this is fucking stupid Lenny Kravitz is beautiful yes put him in a movie fast forward how many years later that outrage did not happen when Bridgerton was announced and they sort of have this like very robust cast and then when I you know you watch the series Lady Danbury has this speech with the Duke in episode four about how significant it is that she and the Duke's father and several member and the Queen Charlotte and all of these people who look like them are in positions of power and part of this royal lineage and etc. and how significant that is and how life-changing that was when Charlotte marries King George and like all of these little pieces. And it's the only time in the show that they address the diversity of the cast. So at the time I was like, oh, Lady Danbury, okay, you know, whatever. And then fast forward and I'm learning more about the series. I'm learning more about the author, whatever. And then I'm like, did we need that scene? I thought it was a great scene because I feel like when you're doing a period piece, when there's like really awful shit happening to non-white people, yes, you have to sort of explain it but like I'm so I'm in I'm in this weird place in my life where I'm like I'm tired of the fact that we have to explain why people are related when they look different from each other but also at the same time they're dealing with a very real historical period of time with very real historical characters Queen Charlotte King George so it almost is like part of me is like did we need that speech and the other part of me is like well yeah we needed that speech I totally understand where you're coming from and like because this is all based on just a theory that Queen Charlotte was part black. Okay. And it's that, and the theory is that she was part black. She mm-hmm. was mixed, not fully unapologetically black the way that she is in Bridgerton, which I fully love and accept, by the way. Yeah. Love her. She's wonderful. However, this is really taking a liberty with this, with this conceptualized theory, right? That Queen Charlotte had African descendants in her background. And part of the reason that people think that is because of the language that was used to describe her. They used Mm. the same words that they would use to describe black people at Mm. that time. Plain, ugly, Mm -hmm. a lot of really negative words. Okay. Really rude words. And she was, and I definitely looked her up. uh, She wasn't a looker but let's just pretend that this theory was true and that Queen Charlotte was black okay that would really need to be discussed Mm. on how that would play into what Regency time period would look like because 
in conjunction with this time period, it's 1813 on the other side of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's fully enslaved. Right. Like, so when the Duke of Hastings talks about how he's gone on his world tour or whatever, and he's back in England, and I'm like, did you go to the Americas? Because I feel definitely, like that's a thing he, you're not coming back from. He definitely did not. And I know that England abolished slavery first, but I don't recall exactly what year that was. So I never even bothered to look it up. I meant to, to kind of put that in too, because we're talking 1813. Was it 50 years before the, the States did it? I feel like it was a significant amount of time. In 1807. Okay. So, it's... so it had already been abolished. So yeah. in this time, so with Bridgerton, just a few years earlier. Yeah. And so then you have the whole thing of like, they have 47 million children, the king and queen. And clearly some of those children are going to be like older than when it was abolished. There is the fact that Queen Charlotte was very vocal about abolishing slavery. And she is part of the reason why slavery was abolished. And that also is part of the reason why people think that in theory, she was part black because Mm. she was so vocal about abolishing slavery. And why would, why would a white queen care if black people are enslaved, why would she care? Right. Unless she was also. Yeah, it affected her family. In unless some way. it affected her. So it forces us to have the suspension of disbelief, too, right? Like, how literal are we going to get to enjoy? For me, the first time I watched Bridgerton, I didn't get literal about it because right. the Duke of Hastings is hot as shit. Uh, right. <laughs> but, I, and I also think that the Viscount is attractive. I know that he's not your favorite, yeah. but like. Oh, no, he's still hot. Boy, All is hot. Bridget- Oh, he's so cute. All the Bridgerton boys are hot. Was that what you're going to say? Because I, I feel love, like you were totally right. I love right. Benedict. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that. But like yeah. Benedict is just, I think he's cuter than Anthony personally. Oh, okay. So that's good that we won't be fighting over which brother, Bridgerton brother we want. And so, so, you know, the first time I'm not living in, I'm living in this suspended disbelief situation. So that way I can enjoy the show. And, you know, I love something that has beautiful men in it. The second time I watch it, then I'm like, wait a minute. Like I paid better attention to Lady Danbury's speech. And then, and then you start thinking of the historical context and whatnot. So I think it's bold that they chose to do that and, you know, bring the speech in when you know people like us are going to like, wait, let's let's do a little bit of research here and really like remember, remind ourselves what we learned in school, but forgot. It would mean for Lady Danbury's speech, it would mean that Lady Danbury lived through a time of enslavement in England. Yeah. Yeah. It means that she witnessed the changeover and the way that they're portraying it in this show, it sounds like they just like abolished slavery Mm -hmm. and then boom. Granted titles and land granted titles and land and everything was just magically the way that it is so historical context definitely lacking for the context of the show and the storyline I find it very appropriate that they would have this conversation because she would have to like slap some sense into him if he is really young be like you need to freaking remember right how bad it used to be for us and the fact that we are part of court Mm -hmm. and you're acting this way appalling and I will slap you Yes. And nobody wants your auntie to slap you because that shit hurts. So I honestly didn't think the world was going to be changing in the way that it is in my existence because 20 years ago, we weren't talking about being mixed. We weren't talking about all of these issues that are existing that, you know, Gen Z is sort of blowing up right now, which thank you because we tried us millennials tried, but like <laughs> didn't get very, we didn't get very, very far. far. <laughs> so now it's like, it's crazy to see And nice, because then that means maybe in my lifetime, there will be some peace for people who are mixed. Something that we haven't talked about, but we've sort of, sort of talked about was Anthony and Sienna. Sienna, you know, the opera singer who he's 
doing against the tree when we first meet him. This whole like push pull, will they, won't they? He can't be with her because he's a Viscount and he has all this family, but he's like so in love with her. But is he in love with her? He's totally in love with her. Like there's just this whole like situation because of class systems and status and all this stuff. It's just, you feel for her throughout the whole show, you know, even through episode four, because she clearly loves him. He clearly loves her, but then there's all these hurdles that are getting in the way that aren't their own hurdle. Like, yes, they're their own hurdles, but really it's societal hurdles that have been placed that keep them from apart, keep them apart. Literally everyone needs to understand that like the only reason that they can't be together is her family doesn't have a title. Yeah. She's an opera singer. She makes her own way. Like how could you possibly marry a woman who can't be a gentle lady? Right. Like you can't, you can't do it. She literally, she can't be presented to society. She can't do any of these things that you're supposed to marry into with all of your rules of being a Viscount, right? Do these rules suck? They sure do. Uh, patriarchy sucks. It's sad. It's sad that they can't be together because of a caste system. She does make her own way as an opera singer, but she also doesn't because she has to rely on finding a, a man to support her financially right because he was supporting her financially he had an apartment for her and was paying for an apartment for her to live in so that they can across town they had their own little you know they had their own little love shack and And the constant like i'll take care of you and you know i've got you and all that stuff that and like did he have so like was the intention to just keep her on the other side of town in this apartment forever and never get married or was his intention to eventually get married to Mm -hmm. someone in society and keep her in the apartment across town right which i can't see her standing like tolerating you can't you can't watch the person you love be married to somebody else that's just you just can't live through that no like that's not a it's not a logical arrangement because of the time period like Mm -hmm. can't do that and but he's insistent that he's going to take care of her that being said i feel like that actually was the plan of they both knew well eventually he's going to have to get married but it's just Mm -hmm. going to be it's just going to be a contractual marriage when he breaks up with her in the Mm -hmm. in that first episode and is like I can't do this I bet it's a huge slap to the face because I bet she was always like well I knew you were gonna get married like what the like she never she never thought he was going to marry her but he always intended to take care of her and be true to her in a sense right and that puts her in a weird position because while she wants to believe him and she wants him to take you know to provide in this way she also still has to figure out a plan b because he does do a lot of that back and forth with her heart and she knows that she's in a precarious position because she is not necessarily a well-bred gentle lady this position he's put her in with the will will i won't die care for you is completely unfair and a mindfuck because she just can't like she just it's a mindfuck yeah yeah like she can't rely on him he's pulled through but then he doesn't pull through and so it makes it inconsistent and so now she has to actively make a choice i need to find somebody who's going to care for me who's going to love me no matter what kind of situation and she does start exploring that through the rest of the episodes and he just does not handle it well. He's a real jealous guy. Yeah. Like he gets real upset. And then like, I love that he kind of like starts hallucinating seeing her everywhere. Like I've been yes. noticed that. And like he kept, he kept thinking that he would see her passing the corner and he'd yeah. see her in the, uh, 
what is it? Is it like a pub? Is it a lounge? Is it like a gentleman's lounge that they're a in? A club, probably. They probably refer the to it as the club. Yeah, I'm going to the club. Speaking of Bridgerton brothers, Colin. From the beginning, we know that we see that Penelope's in love with Colin and Colin's just, you know, older than Daphne, but still deemed a child. And he, you know- I wonder she- how much older though. Does it say in the books how much older he is than Daphne? Yes, I want to say they're like 18 months, like somewhere around there. that's what I thought. Does it say the age gap between him and the other two brothers? I don't remember. Because I feel like that's a thing. I feel like that's a significant reason why they're constantly referring to Colin as like so young. Mm -hmm. I feel like he is significantly younger than the other two brothers. I feel like Anthony and Benedict are very close in age. Yeah. And then, they're both at a university. Like they make reference yeah. to Anthony and Simon having been at university together. They do reference that he has come from Eton and that they should have, uh, they should have let him, they should have taken him out to more brothels after he was done with Eton to sow his wild oats, because that's apparently how you deal with boys in this time period. <laughs> you just take them to prostitute <laughs> and let them practice sex. Yeah. Here's hoping like they don't get an STD. But so we've got like Penelope and Colin. Poor Colin hasn't sowed his wild oats. And poor Penelope just loves him so much. She just loves him so much. She loves him so much. And it's like so cute and so kind of sad. And he, you can tell he loves her too, but the love is different because he comes to her rescue a couple times, like, you know, in right. at party situations. And he like, is always happy to see her and have conversation with her, which I love. I feel like they're those friends that, and I feel like everyone has had these friends in their, like, fr- if you have a friend group and like, I feel like everyone's been in the situation where you have those two friends that are just like, they're just super friendly with each other and they get along real well. Right. And you all know that they have good chemistry and you all know that they're going to get together, but it's going to take them a really long time. Long to figure time. Out. Yeah. And they're not, they're not two that you could be like, Oh, how cute. And like make fun of them. No, because then they're going to like skitter Split. off yeah. and like never talk again. So you're just like, we're just not going to rock about it. We're just going to let them handle their own business. I'll let them handle that. Just let, you know, Penelope stare longingly at Colin from across the ballroom as he talks to Marina and other women. Book four is Colin and Penelope. I'm a purist. I read shit in order. And part of me feels like I want to like jump ship and just read the Penelope and Colin book first. That's the one that we really want to know about. The one I really care about. Let's be honest. Um, Just because in this season, they go through so much. Oh my God. When Lady Featherington finds out the truth about the situation, how devastating. And as you mentioned, they're already probably living on a shoestring budget. And so then to find out that you can't even marry off your daughters because they have no dowry, like that's scandalous. I don't know if they ever reference this in the show. I can't really remember if they say that this is their first or second season out. I feel like it's their second I feel like the older girls, yes. The younger daughters first season. Yeah. That's and, the sense, um, that's the impression I got. So, like again, Lady Featherington, as real bitchy as she is, because they make her character real unlikable. But I also think, you know what? You get real unlikable when you're real stressed. Yes, all that pressure, the rumors, everyone already knows that Lord Featherington is the type of human Doing he is. And- 
And then, so, like, then you've got her, and she's portrayed as, like, this really bitchy lady, right? And she... Mm -hmm. You you can't have fun because you're in survival mode. Yeah, and I feel like that's really where she's at with it, and that's so hard. And so with this, she probably has been on this budget for a while, unknowing why, Mm -hmm. because she's married to a lord who Mm -hmm. should have money Mm -hmm. because lords don't just have money. Like it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, family money that you're born into this lordship. Like you're a lord of a land. It's not just a title at this point in time. Yeah. You're essentially the governor of a bunch of property. Right. And so like she, in her mind, she's just like, we should have money. Like we should have, like I should be able to go and get my girls their dresses. Like maybe Mm -hmm. not the most expensive, expensive dresses so it must have been really stressful to have this budget and mm-hmm. not under, not really understand why mm-hmm. but then like you know it seems like she's just chat she's just okay it is what it is you know whatever and then she freaking finds out that it's all just gone gone it's like the equivalent of him gambling away a, like in this day and age like a kid's university fund like who does that who steals from their children I mind-blowing to me like I hear all these stories all the time about people who do like these really shitty things to their kids like financially before their children are even 18 I don't understand it like how desperate and how bad is your gambling addiction that you took money from your children like literally their livelihood and it's your daughters it's their only way that they can make it in this life and right. you have gambled it away and the like what is the thought process right like what are you thinking that justifies this type of behavior because you know I with food I have a complicated relationship with food and I do this all the time where I'm just like oh you know what I earned it today I did this probably shouldn't eat that whole entire ream of thin mints after I've had already some candy today after I've had all you know like all these things there's a part of me that I'm like okay I understand how there can be this sort of mind spiral and justification and bad behavior but that only affects me I'm not taking his the money I've been saving for his college for the last 17 years and like blowing a new car car, or going to Las Vegas or doing all these things with it like yes it's my money that I've earned really hard but it's in his account so it's his money gamblers think well I lost it but the loss is temporary habitual gamblers are not good at gambling so in episode four we finally see um, Simon and Daphne fall into their emotional desires, kind of physically in a way. Because, <laughs> you know, Daphne's like, they're at this party. I forget who hosted the ball. And they're just kind of like, she's just kind of like feeling overwhelmed because the prince is getting ready to propose. So she's like, fuck this shit. I'm out. Oh, I'll be right back. But she's polite about it, right? Like, oh, excuse me. I need some air. And she wanders out into the garden and she's out there and she's like freaking out and she's feeling, you know, um, choked by the necklace the prince gives her and then she rips it off and then there's Simon I don't know about you but I loved the garden scene because damn it was sexy it was really good and it showed like that throw of passion yes so for everyone listening they have this very steamy I guess is you can use steamy when everyone's fully clothed right like that's appropriate yeah making out session they just lean in like at first he's like oh I'm you know sorry I kissed you that's inappropriate you're now like defiled (laughs) which 
if that's what qualifies as being defiled, then whoops. And then, and then she's like, she's like, no, she's totally into it. And then like goes, and then they just like have this like deep, passionate, handsy makeout session. And Antony finds them, right? Yes. Antony like busts in and uh is like so over the top and dramatic about it and like punches Simon in the, like throws Daphne out of the way and like punches Simon in the face and like knocks him to the ground and he's like you've defiled my sister you're gonna marry her tomorrow or some shit like that just some ridiculous timeline just like all of a sudden you're getting married right now yeah like over a makeout session because apparently now this means that she can't get a proper marriage because they've just had this passionate makeout session which damn 1813 like Anthony and Simon are banging all kinds of chicks and then just one passionate kiss with a chaste woman means that she's ruined forever okay but then like not only that how does this make sense please Someone, someone make it make sense. Give it to me. Give it to me. All of it. Because like, I'm so confused. How does it make sense that Anthony has been hell bent against this match? Right. Done. Hates the Duke with his sister. Okay. Hates him. And then the Duke has done the worst thing. The worst thing that he could have possibly done to make him is defile her. And now, because he's done something so terrible, he gets to marry her. First of all, while that kiss is very passionate, by today's standards, it's a little on the innocent side for grownups, in my mind, right? Like, they didn't go very far because they got interrupted. Right. Um, Or maybe it's not innocent. I don't know. (laughs) The lines are blurred in my head because I, whatever. Anyway, so then the only way to save her virtue that's what it is. The only way to save right. her virtue is that he marry her. But like, also maybe guys just don't tell anybody <laughs> act like it didn't happen. At this point, we think that you're the only three that know. Right. And so at this point, wouldn't it make sense if you, if you really hate this guy so much, right. And you'd like, you really don't want your sister to marry him and you see this happening. Wouldn't it make more sense to be like, if you tell anyone, I will kill you. Yes. If because... you mess up her prospects for this prince, I will kill you. Yes. Yeah, problems, yeah. sir. Okay. Yes. Wouldn't that make more sense? And to just keep it hush hush and be like, get back to the castle and tell Daphne, get back to the castle, go to the powder room, go fix yourself. Yeah. And go. Yeah. Versus you have you're to gonna, marry her. You have it's like it's like he kissed her and like she was pregnant. Right. Well, according to Eloise, she could be pregnant after that. So well, in their minds, they rightfully could. So then there's this huge fight between the whole unit, but then Daphne is rightfully angry with Antony. At some point after the garden party, she says to him, you think just because I am a woman, I'm incapable of making my own choices. So what frustrates me about that, because, you know, he's like, you can't like you, you can't make this decision for yourself, right? Like he's basically like, you're not allowed to make this decision. We're making this decision for you, which a number one, fuck you Two. Earlier in the episode, when he, before the ball, Antony comes into the drawing room and he's like, I have good news. The prince asked for your hand. And she's like, well, what did you say? And he says, I know better than to answer for my sister because of all of the Lord Burbrook situation. So then to go from saying that to her about the prince proposal to basically saying you have no say in what happens now that you and the prince, you and the prince, you and the Duke have made out in the garden is like, like how, 
come on, like pick a lane, dude. <laughs> right. And like, I even put that in my notes, like just, Did you? just pick one. Uh, yeah, you pick, said, yeah. Pick one. Like, but also does he only say that because he's, because Frederick is the prince? Ooh, that's a good point. And like, you can't really tell the prince that you're not good enough to marry her sis- his sister. Like you can't tell the prince that he's yeah. the prince. Yeah. He can't, he literally, that's really the only thing that he can say versus, or like, yeah, that's a great idea. You would, she would make a wonderful addition to your family. Like you're not going to throw your sister under the bus. Right. Like, and so maybe he only said that to the prince because it's like, it's kind of an act. Yeah. Like, honestly. Performative in a way to appease everybody. Right. So then that way Daphne does feel like she has some autonomy, but really like we all know she has to say yes. He has a cute little button, that guy that plays the prince. He's so cute. He looks very much like Prince Frederick too. So that that was really uh, yeah. After everything sort of implodes in the garden, they're like, we're going to duel <laughs> at dawn. So like, listen, when I think, which at the time it's outlawed by this point, right? But when I think right. of agency era and like pre- pre like America being established I think of duels like I feel like that's so late 1700s early 1800s so it only seemed even though it's illegal and it just felt very appropriate when Duke is like I am not marrying your sister sorry and Antony's like you can't dishonor her and then they go back and forth he's like a duel at dawn kind of shit I was just so appropriate like like what like he he made out with your sister in a garden. He didn't assault her. No, he just like had, got a little boob action. It's fine. Like, they, like she enjoyed it. Whatever. Yeah. It cool. And like, and now we're dueling. Yeah. Willingly, we're all willingly dueling. And then not only not only are we dueling, he holds his pistol up to the sky to not like he's just gonna die. Yes. He's gonna die on this fucking hill. He's gonna be like, well, this is easier than not getting married, I guess. Like, uh, right. It's it's easier than keeping this vow that I've made to my dead father. I could just die in this duel and then be done. Which is just so weird to me because I'm like, Simon, at this point, I'm feeling like you are unwilling to have a conversation with the woman you love about why you don't want to marry her and and unwilling to explain to her the tra- the pain the trauma knowing that she wants kids whatever wants to be wife all these things but like you're so convicted to your moral or you're so committed to your morals to be like yeah death sounds great you know like i'd rather like, i'd rather be dead de- but like what morals are like they're not even morals because like if he was convicted to his morals if he was dedicated to those he would marry Daphne because he knows okay. that that's screwing yeah, her fair. That's reputation, fair. right? Yeah. So okay, so co- really committed, committed to his his uh, oath to his father of never giving, you know, yes. dying. The Hastings line, dying with him. God, that's so dramatic. She's like, I can't believe that you would die rather than marry me. And don't you have any regard for me? And, she, and he's like, it's because I regard you so highly that I can't marry you. And for me, that's like such a fuckboy move because- Such in the, a fuckboy move. You know, it's like, oh, I can't change. I refuse to change. I won't change. I'm unwilling to hear your side of it. I'm making my plea constantly. And then, you know, I just have too much respect for you. Like, those are the guys who end up married to somebody else in a month. Right? Like, what is that logic? It's awful. It's because I regard you so highly that I cannot marry you. Then be honest. 
I think Daphne would be willing to hear it, but I think she's so like, she's so good at being a communicator when she doesn't understand something and she gets shut down so often that I think in this situation, this was a really good opportunity for him to be like, look, this is what's happening. Okay. Like this mm-hmm. is why this is the explanation. Like yeah. I can't marry you. I really, really like you. I never thought I was going to really like a woman, a woman like this, but yeah. I do but I can't marry you. Like maybe they could have had a conversation about it, but no, that's too complicated because women can't handle anything because we're going to get confused and cry. (laughs) And men have to solve everything with violence and duels. So episode four ends with them shooting at each other and we hear the guns fly and Daphne's come running in the middle of the, you know, at dawn to try and stop them. (laughs) So it's in episode five when he says that to her. So then we get into like, not smart running into the middle of a duel Daphne like I understand I understand you're worried I understand that you're like real frantic but like don't run in the middle of gunfire a duel before he go before they meet in duel Antony goes to Sienna remember and he's like you know because so this is like for him he's found his way out of being the Viscount because if he if he dies, then he's free. If he duels and doesn't die, then he can't come back because now he's like an outlaw, right? And so he goes to Sienna and gives her this plea of like, we can finally be together and like, oh my God, and run away with me and all these things. It's going to be amazing and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) That's how we ended in season four with them. And she's just like, okay, I believe you. Like, this is going to be great. And then he even- great. He even pleads with Benedict and says, you know, if something happens to me, here's the name of a woman you have to take care of, like, while while I'm dead. So you're like, okay, maybe he's finally got his shit together. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's never going to get his shit together. He'll get his shit together in season two. I'm, no, I, I hope I hope that he doesn't. I hope that he just gets totally screwed over in season two. I want to yeah. watch season two. I want it to be fuck Anthony in season two. I want him to just get royally screwed over the whole time. I want to see him have to marry someone that he hates. I want her to like get pregnant with someone else's baby. Like I want all the, all the things to happen to Anthony. I want him to lose all of his fortune. Something, something, something. has happened because he sucks <laughs> so hard. <laughs> yes, but he's so hot. The actor is so hot on Instagram. I'm just like, thank you for all the thirst traps. Yeah. All right, I might have to, I might have to follow that. Isn't talking about Bridgerton so much fun? There's a lot of things that um, Melissa and I could have discussed and we didn't, but today's discussion was lively and spirited and fun. And um, mom, very sorry, but also not sorry. So there's that. Next week, we hit episodes five and six. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We'll talk to you next time.